0: True. I mean, as you watch that, you can see some of your own lives and you can see your dad. And you can, you know, some of you, you walk like your dad. Some of you talk like your dad. Some of you have the same values that your dad did. Some of you, um, you know, you have some of the the same quirks that he did. Some of you are patient like he was. I mean, we, we have a very much a part of our dad in us. Now, I understand that not all of the things that we have from our dad are great things. You know, there are some probably some negative things that we have that, that uh, were passed on to us from, from our dad as well, but, uh, but it's so true. Um, you might have seen this this week. It's called the fatherhood cycle. The fatherhood cycle, and it's what we believe as we get older about our dads. At four years old, we think, we say, my daddy can do anything. At seven years old, we say, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. At 12 years, we say, oh, well, naturally, Father doesn't know that either. At 14 years, Father, hopelessly old-fashioned. 21 years, oh, that man is so out of date. What did we expect? 25 years, he knows a little bit about it, but not much. At 30 years, maybe we ought to find out what Dad thinks. At 35 years, let's ask Dad what he would do before we make a decision. At 40 years, I wonder... Um, I wonder what dad would have thought about that. He was pretty smart. At 50 years, my dad knew absolutely everything. It's actually kind of the place where I am today. Uh, At 60 years, I'd give anything if dad were here so I could talk this over with him. I really miss that man. You know, we're all at a different place when it comes to our relationship with our dad. And, and, and again, maybe it wasn't that great of a relationship, but I would encourage you, if your dad is, is still living, um, to give him a call today, to send him a message, to, to write him a note and say, Dad, um, I love you. Um, I, thank you for bringing me into this world uh, and just help make his day a good one. Now, we didn't plan this message or this series around Father's Day, as Cam said, it just happened that way. I mean, God is just amazing in how he works things out. Um, and, and as we talk about a father's legacy today, what I want, all of us are in this same place. It's not just about fathers. Because mothers, your children have pieces of you as well. And, and you, uh, you students or kids who don't have, uh, you're not married, you don't have kids yet. Um, you have friends that you spend a lot of time with. And it can happen that way too. If you have a best friend I mean, you start, you can answer each other's sentences, I mean, you can finish each other's sentences, things like that. We begin to become a part of that. We exhibit like characteristics. So of course this message isn't only for dads. Um, we will all leave a legacy. We will all leave a legacy. And the question for us this morning is, what kind of a legacy am I going to leave? What is that going to look like um, And Jesus, Jesus wants us to leave the kind of legacy that follows and serves Him, that is obedient to Him, that provides life, that that is life. And in today's passage, He continues to teach us how to live life the way that it was meant to be lived. Now last week, we saw Jesus turn a couple uh, commandments upside down. When we talked about uh, anger and Jesus talked about the commandment to not murder. And then we talked about, you know, relationships and and we talked about temptation and lust when Jesus talked about um, adultery. You know, he he said if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart or a man. Um, And I find it interesting, we talked as, as well about how we are involved in a spiritual battle every day, every moment. And, and it wasn't Monday morning when I went to look through my spam folder, which I do every day to make sure that, you know, necessary emails don't end up in there, and then just delete everything. Normally, there's a couple email messages in my spam folder. This last week, every day there was at least a half a dozen um, temptations on the topic of lust and and sexuality, and and I had to just. Click those and, and trash them. You know, delete forever, don't hit, not spam button. That's not a good one to hit. Um, but, but it was interesting to me that just having spoken about that, how Satan will use every weapon he has available to him, and, and when, when we are being challenged and we are responding to that challenge, how he will kind of up the game a little bit. So we have to be, we have to be cautious. The spiritual battle is real, and it's a challenge living life the way that it was meant to be lived. The way God created us to live, with integrity, uh, with uh, righteousness. Now, do we make mistakes? Yes, absolutely we make mistakes. We mess up. And and we repent of those things and we move on. Uh, Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, um, he he told them, this is how you should live and and this is how much grace God has had on you because of of the sin in your life. And, And he knows what they're thinking. And he responds to, he, he sort of preempts what the questions that they have in Romans 6, 1 and 2. And he says this What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that, may, that grace may increase? Should we just keep sinning and then repenting so that we can experience God's grace over and over and over again? No, Paul says. Um, in fact, he says, By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Um, we can make that decision. We, we, as Christ followers, have the power now to not be controlled by that. We can say, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, it's not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit, who is in us, daily surrendering our lives to His work, daily asking for his guidance, And this morning we find in our passage two areas of our lives where Jesus teaches us how we can uh, have life. And the first area that we see is in the area of integrity. Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't turned there already, please turn there. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing Jesus talks about is he says, Living life according to my words will leave a legacy of integrity. For all of us. Again, verse 33, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had taught and were, were teaching people and were living this way that, that if you make an oath, if you make a promise, if you make a commitment and you make that on something really, really important like the Lord or the temple or whatever, then you have to fulfill that commitment. But if you don't, if you just simply say, I promise to do this, then you can break that promise without having to worry about it. That's what they were teaching. That's how they were living their life. And Jesus says, no, it has, it, it has nothing to do. In fact, don't use the Lord's name in making an oath. Don't do it. You know, growing up, uh, we, we had a version of this growing up, didn't we? we? We would be on the playground and we would be talking to somebody and, and uh, we would have our hand behind our back, right? And we would say, oh yeah, I, I, I promise I'll give it back to you. And then later, right, you don't give it back. Why? Because I had my fingers crossed. Right? It's, it's only, and, and, and that's kind of how we, or, or if we made a promise and we really meant it, you know, we would say something like, I swear on a stack of Bibles. You know, it's, that's how important this thing is. I won't break it. Or, or uh, what are some other things that we could say? Cross my heart, right? I'm telling you the truth. Cross my heart, hope to die, and I don't even remember the rest of it. Stick a what? A needle in your eye. Wow, that would, okay. Alright. Now, the new way of saying things like that in today's culture, in today's vernacular, is, I'm not going to lie, it was a really great experience. Have you ever said that? Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Um, that drives my wife nuts. Because she's like, well, does that mean you're lying to me every other time you say something? Right? Isn't that true? Isn't our culture kind of there? Isn't, Isn't that how things are? Or somebody will tell you something and your response to them is, really? Really? Are you really telling me the truth? No, no, I just thought I'd lie about it just for fun. Right? I mean, that's what our culture has become. Jesus says in verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a man or woman or kid or student of integrity. Decide today to let your yes be yes and your no be no. A few years ago, Time Magazine did a cover story titled, Lying, Everybody's Doing It. There it is. That's an actual cover of Time Magazine. Lying, Everybody's Doing It. Honest, Right? That was probably another thing back in the mid-90s. Honest. I'm telling you the truth, right? Um, And it would seem that that would be a recent Time Magazine cover because of all the things that have happened, you know, in popular culture today. It seems like everybody, nobody's telling the truth. That was 23 years ago in 1992. Has it gotten better? Has it gotten better? No, it, it certainly hasn't. Um, a group of behavioral economists did an interesting study. They took two groups of people, okay, and they were uh, going to administer to these two groups of people the same test. And, and uh, what they were communicating, what they told these people, that the better you do on this test, the, the more money, the more profits you're going to get, okay? And, and then in their wording, they, they essentially encouraged them to cheat on the test so that they could get a higher grade, a higher score. Okay, then they divided the group into two, into two groups. And uh, one group, they had, before they took the test, they had them write down all of the Ten Commandments that they could remember. Okay, it didn't matter what order, they just, all of them that you could remember. The other group, they had them write down the, the last two or three movies that they had watched in the theater and if there was anything interesting about them. You know what they found? I mean, it, it's, it's, to me, it's pretty predictable. The people that that wrote down that were thinking commandments when they went in to take the test cheated less. They were more honest in taking the test than the other group. Why? Because because somewhere inside of us I think we have this we have this thought that that we should do what's right. We just kind of forget sometimes, right? Or or it just you know, we just we just kind of forget it. No, Jesus says, let your yes be yes. And won't you decide today to be a man or a woman of integrity and let your yes be yes and your no be no? Now, we've all been critical of popular or well known people for their dishonesty, right? I mean, we see it on the news and the television every day. You know, there are, there are politicians, although that list is long, right? Um, you know, from at least recently in my history, um, you know, Bill Clinton, why didn't he just tell the truth? You know, why did he make up a story? Hillary Clinton. I mean, I, I, who knows? Uh, you know, they say, you can, they say and, and this is kind of harsh, but you know how you can tell when a politician is lying? They're opening their mouth. I mean, that, that, that's kind of true in, in a lot of people's lives in our culture today. You know, sports athletes. I mean, we, we joked at the beginning about you know Deflate Gate, and then there's Spygate, and then and then there's pitchers who say, well, I don't know how that sticky stuff got on my uniform, and and uh, or or they, you know, they say, well, I, I don't know how those performance enhancing drugs ended up in my system. Somebody must have slipped it in my drink, right? I mean, come on. And and our culture just continues continues down this road. Why? Why? Why are we tempted to lie? Why are we tempted to not be men and women of integrity? Um, usually it's, it's to get ahead. It's to, um, to make more money, to get an unfair advantage. Um, self-preservation. You know, we don't want to uh, we don't wanna experience the consequences, the natural consequences that might come with this decision that I made, this bad choice. And, and so we, we fudge the truth a little bit. Now, we must stay diligent and not let the promise of future benefit tempt us. Don't let the, 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 don't let the promise of future benefit tempt you. Um, I, think that's a, I think that's a huge, huge thing. Now there was this college professor, his name is... I forgot what his name is. Um, I'll remember it in a second. But a college professor tried this, this experiment with this Christian ethics class. And he, and he did this experiment year after year after year after year. And, and I want to try it this morning. Um, and I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you the story that he would tell them the, the situation I want you to put yourself in the place of this person okay and then I want you to be honest with yourself and, and answer the question that's at the end at the end okay Suppose it's your last semester at school and you're getting ready to graduate with a degree in accounting. You have a person who is ready and waiting for you to marry them when you graduate and you have a job lined up with one of the few accounting firms that's still left in this world. I mean, life is perfect. And then you get the dreaded call from the registrar's office. You are short one course. You can't graduate until you take this one course. Okay, you complain, you cry, you try to negotiate. But if you don't know this already, you should. It's easier to negotiate with a terrorist than it is a college registrar. Okay? You can't negotiate with them. So you finally give up and you say, what do I have to do? And they tell you, you have to take an English class. So you find the only English class that fits into your schedule and it's early American literature. Okay? Now, the first thing you read is the Scarlet, the Scarlet Letter. Have you read the Scarlet Letter? Um, pretty boring, despite its subject matter, actually. Um, and after you get through that loser, his words, not mine, you read Huckleberry Finn, and you're delighted about that because you didn't know it was literature. <laughs> then you get to the poetry. None of it rhymes, and the only great thing about poetry is it's not very long. Okay. You're not doing great, but you're managing. And then you come to the last assignment in the course, which is to read the great American novel. And everyone knows what the great American novel is, right? What is it? Obi, or Moby Dick, thank you. Obi, yeah. Moby Dick. It's Moby Dick. And for those of you who don't know this, I didn't know this, I've never read it, actually. Um, Moby Dick is 800 dense pages about whaling. Okay. You're from Wyoming, right? Whaling isn't a really important subject in culture in Wyoming, and it probably never will be. So um, you make the decision. You say, you're thinking, I've been a good sport up until now, but I am not reading Moby Dick. So what do you do? You get online. You go to the Cliff Notes. And you read all of the Cliff Notes on Moby Dick and all of the Monarch Notes because you figure those guys probably know a lot more about the book and what it means than you do anyway. And so you learn that. But you don't stop there. No, you don't stop there. You also watch both movies. The one with Gregory Peck and that Star Trek guy. Okay? You watch both of the movies. You're not expecting an A in the class. Or on this test, you just want to get your C and get on with life. So you come to the test. It's the final. It's the final test. And this professor, for crying out loud, has put only one question on the final test. One question on the final test. And that question is this Did you read Moby Dick? Now, if you answer that question truthfully, you will get a zero on the final, you will fail the course, you won't graduate, you won't get that job you've are lined up. you lined up, and that person who is going to marry you, well, they're not going to marry a loser like you that can't pass this American literature class. I don't know if that would actually be true, but here's the question. How would you answer that question? Would you say, yes, I read it, or would you say, no, I did not? And he says, uh, as as I read this, he says it's amazing what kind of theologians and thinkers his students became. He said, students that I didn't think were thinking before, they come up with all kinds of reasons why it would be okay to answer that question yes. They, they, they come up with... In fact, he says, um, 95% of his students say that in that situation, of course, they would lie. I mean... Um, you know, God is timeless, they say. So they could say they read it, read it later, and then, you know, it would be okay. And I think probably the other 5% that said they wouldn't lie were probably lying about that. I don't know. There was a rich young female and she was in a restaurant one day and She approached one of the waiters and she said, I have a proposition for you. I have a proposal for you. Uh, She said, for $250,000, would you go home with me tonight and sleep with me? You know, he's pretty hard on his luck. And he said, yeah, absolutely. For $250,000, that's a lot of money. She said, well, um, you know, would you for $100,000... Um, after the end of your work, come home with me tonight and sleep with me. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, that would be worth it. And then she followed up with one final question. She said, would you, after work, come home with me and sleep with me for $50? And he got all huffy. And he said, well, what do you think I am? And she said, we've already determined that. Now we're just trying to settle on a price. Here's the thing that we have got to get, get right in our heads. Our integrity is not for sale. It's not. It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It is. He, he's, telling us about, he's telling us that integrity runs deep. It's not based on a cost-benefit analysis. And too often in our culture today, that's how people think. Well, you know, it might be true for you, but you know. A few weeks ago, we were in Jackson Hole for state soccer and and uh, I was driving the bus and we had to, we were leaving on Friday and uh, Sarah wanted to stay for, for the last championship game because it looked like the Torrington boys, well, they were playing in the third and fourth place game and and so Sarah was going to stay, and, and uh, the motel room that I had had a king-size bed and a couch and lots of floor space, and, and uh, so I asked them if we could just keep, if, if I could just pay for the room, you know, the school paid for it before, I'll just pay for it now, and, and she can keep it, and uh, it was going to be Sarah and Brittany and, and uh, my brother and sister-in-law and their daughter, so there's going to be five in the room, and uh, you know where I'm going with this, right? Um, she said, how many are going to be in the room? I said, well, my wife and my daughter are going to be in the room. She said, okay, and she wrote it down, and she said, it's going to be this much, and she swiped my card, and I signed it, and then I walk out the door. And I, I think I actually made it to the motel room. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. That, that, that even right there is a slippery slope, because it's true, my wife and my daughter are going to stay there, but that wasn't the whole truth. So I went back and I said, all right, uh, Miss Receptionist, I got to level with you. There's going to be five people in this room. And she said, oh, well, that's fine. She said, it isn't cost anymore. She said, I just need it to know in case there's a fire so we can keep track of the people. That's not how most motels operate, right? Because I'm thinking, again, this is the cost-benefit analysis, right? How am I going to answer this question? Am I going to be a man of integrity? I was... I wasn't. I wasn't in that moment in time. Now I made it right, and, and that's good because if I hadn't after this sermon I would be calling that lady <laughs> and saying, I screwed up. Um, that, that's where we need to be. We need to recognize that, that, that it's just truth. We need to be men and women of integrity. And and our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no. Now. We also must realize that, that we're teaching those around us with our life. Our kids are seeing what we're, the decisions that we're making every day. Our kids are seeing that. They're watching that. Your coworkers are seeing that. They're watching that. You know People see how we live, uh, And it's not "Do as I say, not as I do." Kids see right through that. They really do. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter eleven, verses 19 through 21. God says this to us teach them. Teach them. And, and Moses has been talking about all of these commands that the Lord has given and, and, and how He's been God has been teaching them to live. He says, Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Live life according to Christ. Living life according to Christ will leave a legacy of integrity. It will also leave a legacy of grace. Of grace. Look at verse 38 and following. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, verse 38. You know, you've read that in the Old Testament, likely. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, When that that law was given by God, what he meant was, um, don't exact more punishment than is required. You know, if somebody steals something, don't kill them. Uh, And what it was turned into was something along the lines of revenge. Yeah, you inflicted this pain on me. I'm going to inflict this pain on you. And typically it doesn't stop there, right? We edge it just a little bit past. So, so in trying to make you feel the way that we did, we, we make it feel a little bit worse. And Jesus says that we need to decide today to live your life with grace. Live your life with grace. And Jesus gives some radical examples. He says if somebody hits you, turn your cheeks so they can hit you again. Uh, I did some reading on this this week, and a lot of of, of uh, theologians, commentators think that, that that was sort of that sort of the disrespectful slap, right? You know, like the guy takes his glove off and he challenges you to a duel. You know, it's like turn your cheek and let him hit you again. I mean, um, and then and, and Jesus goes on. If someone is suing you for your hat, he says, give him your coat too. Uh, again, these are pretty radical. In our culture today, if somebody sues you, what do you do? You defend it. No. Jesus says, give them, if, if they want your hat, give them all of your clothes. Give them your coat too. Jesus says, if you are asked by your enemy, remember, to do something, go the extra mile. Yeah, ever wonder where phrases come from? I we really you, man, you really went the extra mile for us. What does that mean and where does it come from? It it comes from the culture that, that Jesus was talking in right here. When the Romans occupied um the area, Jerusalem and and Israel. They I don't remember the exact name of it. It was it was actually in in Greek I think the name for this but uh, a soldier was allowed to conscript somebody into his service for one mile to carry his pack if there if you were marching down the road and there was a peasant there and you were really tired and you wanted you needed a break you could say here I want you to carry my pack and they were required to carry it for a mile Jesus says if your enemy asks you to carry your pack their pack for a mile you should carry it for two And then he goes on to say that if that neighbor who isn't very nice to you, at least that's what I'm assuming in the context here, that you don't get along with wants to borrow something, he says, give it to him. Let him borrow it. Jesus wants us to live a life of grace. A, a life of, of love and, and forgiveness to those around us. He says right there in verse uh, 44, or 43 first, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Now we're to be separate, uh, set apart from our enemies, from those pagans and that sort of thing. But Jesus says this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. and, and you know, And again, I've said this before, it's not praying that they'll get run over by a car. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, pray blessing into their life. Pray that God would bless them. Pray, pray that, they would, that, that they would have peace in life, that they would know Him. Don't get revenge. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who pursue you. Don't be quick to retaliate, I think, is a, is a good point here. Don't be quick to retaliate. And God is led by example. You know, He, he, he says in here, He doesn't withhold good things from evil people. It, it it rains on the just and the unjust alike. The sun shines on the just, those are good things. I think the best illustration of uh of don't be quick to retaliate and don't get revenge are are, are camp pranks. You know, at Haven on the Rock, all right, when, when I was a director there we tried to squelch every thought of pulling a prank on somebody. Okay? Because we all know what happens when, when a cabin says, oh, we're going to you know, go raid the girl's cabin or whatever, right? And they go raid the girl's cabin, right? So what does the girl's cabin then do? Oh, we've got to get them back, right? Well, we, gotta, we, we can't let that go unpunished. We've we got we to pull a prank back on them. And it's not just your everyday normal prank like the one that the previous cabin pulled. They've got to up the game a little bit. You know, they throw water and shaving cream in on the whole thing, right? And, and then the next one, then, then these guys are like, whoa, wait a minute. That, that isn't going to go... And, and don't we sort of do that in our own lives as well? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we can be taken down that road and we have to be careful. We have to heed the words of Jesus. And then finally, teach those around you with your life. Decide today that you will be a man or woman of integrity. Decide today that you will be a man and woman of or woman of grace, and teach those around you with your life. First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-three says this to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow, that's hard to do. Because, you know, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. God says, leave that to me. Leave the punishment to me. And and, and we kind of think, ah, God, I'm, I don't know. Because if I do, I'm afraid you're not going to punish him. But we need to recognize that He has taken on that punishment for us. We're not guiltless. We're not. Christ, who was guiltless, perfect, took on, suffered, and and, and left us an example. So when we're hurled with insults, don't retaliate, be full of grace. When we suffer, make no threats. Instead, we should trust ourselves to Him who judges justly. I think it's a great challenge for Father's Day to be a man of integrity, to be a man of grace, teaching your children by the way that you live your life. Let's do that. And let's not sell our integrity. Now as we close, I want to ask all of the fathers that are here to stand up if you would. If you're a dad here, stand up. If you're sitting near a dad, maybe put a, put a hand on, on him. And I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for every father in this room. Lord, I know there's fathers here who are tired. and Life's been a struggle. Lord, I pray that as they are on their face before you, on their knees, surrendering all things, I pray that you would lift them up. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. There's fathers here today who feel like this was a pretty stiff challenge to them. and Maybe they haven't been all that honest and truthful. and Maybe they haven't been living their lives with grace. And Lord Jesus, I pray that You would, as You did the woman caught in adultery, you would lift them up. That they might gaze into Your eyes and see how much You love them and how full of grace and mercy You are. Lord, I pray that You would strengthen all of us. That, that we would be the leaders of our families that you call us to be. That we would be the lovers of our wives that you have called us to. That you would that, that, that they would be the teachers of their children. And that we would not just teach with our words, but that we would teach with our lives. Thank you for them. We honor them this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, stay standing. Everybody else, stand, please. Because this message wasn't just about the dads. It was about you too. And if I could, if, if you're standing next to someone, grab a hand, maybe put a hand on a shoulder, and I'm going to pray for all of you. I'm going to pray this same prayer for all of us here today before we close on our final song and worship and giving of our tithes and our offerings. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for all of the, the women and children and men that are in this room. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their, their economic standing. And it doesn't matter what sort of relationship they're in or they aren't in. Lord Jesus, You have called us. You, you, you want to use us in this world to bring the good news of the gospel. You, you want us to, to, to have a, an abundant life. And in Your Word today, You have told us that. That you want us to leave a legacy of integrity and grace. So Lord, I pray the same as I prayed for the dads, for all those who are here, that you would give strength. That you would continue to give conviction for those that, that need to, to repent and turn. And Lord, that you, would, that you would fill and give strength. That we would, when, when those challenges come, because if we decided today, and we make that decision known. Saint will use every weapon he can. He wants to see us fail. Lord, you want to see us succeed. You want us to be men and women of integrity and grace, and I pray that you would give strength. Keep us. Help us to stay aware. And Lord, oh Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your word and, and, and your grace and your forgiveness. We worship you in this final psalm. In Jesus' name, amen i have the ushers come forward. We'll give our tithes and offerings.